Tonight we want to talk about the need for increased testing. The need for increased testing. And we're not talking about viruses tonight. I believe I have a very urgent word from the Lord tonight. I want to give this to you and show you some things. I want you to hold on to it. And uh, my, this just burns in my heart. I'm, I'm seeing the craziest stuff right now in our nation. Not just in the nation, but in the leadership, the spiritual leadership of our nation. I, I'm just going, did it hit all of a sudden? I want you to listen to God's Word tonight. We always go to His Word for everything. The need for increased testing. The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and these are several uh, admonitions right here in chapter 5 about life. Verse 21 says this, test everything. Test all things. And then do what? Hold fast to what is good and throw the junk away. So the Bible tells you and I we need to test everything. And uh, we're living in a day of great deception. Spiritual deception has come across the land. I, I'm just, I'm staggered by what's going on. I've been studying prophecy at the end of the age for 30 years. It's just my, that's my favorite thing. And I've watched it and I've watched And now all of a sudden in the last two years, last little bit, I'm just watching it go. Phew, and we're watching such an increase in what the Bible teaches. I mean, the, the prophecy in the Bible reads like today's newspaper. They parallel right now. And the, the reason that we must test everything, and I think this is the foundational, uh, just a scripture that tells the truth of what's going on in our land. We won't look at it, but Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2 is a prophecy that says this. Darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness, the people. But the glory of the Lord will be upon you. And that's why that, that little verse right there is a tremendous prophecy. Of course, the word darkness in the Bible always means deception. And deception will cover the earth. Deep deception will cover the people. But those who truly walk with God, the light of God's glory is going to be on them. This is going to be like it was one of the great judgments on uh, Egypt for the children of Israel was that God put darkness across the land. And it was so dark people couldn't get out of the bed. But it said there was light in Goshen where God's people lived. And that was a physical pre-shattering of the darkness that's coming on the earth before the second coming of Jesus. Matthew 24, 24 says this. Let me just quote it to you. That's the passage, Matthew 24, is where Jesus described life on the planet right before he came back, what it would morph into. And Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 24. Teachers and prophets will arise and deceive many, if possible, even the elect. So, and Jesus said, to see the first thing he said when they said, what, what is, how will we know you're coming back? He said, see that you're not deceived. For prophets will arise, teachers will arise, and will deceive many. He said, even those who follow God will be deceived. That's the elect, the chosen of God. And so we live in a day of great deception today. That's why there's a need to test everything. Now, I'm just going to say right off the bat, if you think you can't be deceived, you're already deceived. I could easily be deceived. It happens to me constantly apart from this word. And I want you to look in the scripture with me at why there's a need to test everything. I've, I've gotten, because of the things I see and because of the word I know, I've got to where every time a preacher speaks or anybody speaks, I just immediately start testing what they got to say. What are you saying? You cannot afford to just buy everything everybody's saying today. I got to where I, my, me and my wife, we watch romance movies because she likes romance movies and I love her. I'm always watching even the, the secular entertainment industry. What's the message in your movie? What are you saying in the land today? 
in, in everything. I want you to look with me in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Turn back just a page or two from 1 Thessalonians. I'm sorry, turn forward a page. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I want you to see what the Bible says. Now, the Holy Spirit has spoken some things. And the Bible said in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly says. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit can speak? You know what the word expressly means? Specifically. The Holy Spirit has expressly said that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Why will people leave the faith in the latter days? What does it say? Because they're, what does, what does giving heed mean? Listening to what? Deceiving spirits. The Bible said spirits of deception, very deceptive spirits will go out across the land. And uh, listen, these are not weirdos in California. Can you depart from the faith if you weren't in it at one time? No, these are people who were in the faith. But they're going to leave the faith. They're going to walk away from God. Why are they going to do it? Because they've been deceived. And the Spirit, listen, listen. The Holy Spirit expressly says, I'm warning you, in the latter days, people will depart from God's truth and depart from the faith because they're hearing deceiving spirits. And doctrines of who? The doctrine means teaching. The teaching of the demonic. And that's the darkness, the deception that's covering the earth in this day. I want you to turn to the 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Here's another word about testing what you listen to. 1 John 4. <clears throat> 1 John 4 verse 1 says this, Beloved, God calls his people beloved. And by the way, beloved is just an abbreviated form of always being loved by God. It's a term of endearment. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. If you can't hear spirits, why did he tell you not to believe them? Do not believe every spirit, but do what with them? What are we supposed to do? Test the spirits. Test them to see if they are of God because many faults, and the word prophet there doesn't mean Elijah Nahum just means teacher. All right, who are these false prophets? Who are they? Turn me down just here, there. But who are these deceptive spirits? Who are they speaking through? They're speaking through people, the false teachers that go out. And he said this: Don't believe everything you hear. What did he tell you and I to do? You better test what you're hearing, because what? A few weirdos in California are talking crazy. Many, many people are saying crazy things. Is the warning of the Lord right there? And. Uh, Really being in a day where the fulfillment of Proverbs 14, 12 is coming to pass. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end result is destruction. I'm watching my nation fall apart right now. I'm watching preachers go completely off the rails right now with the things they're saying. And we're caught up in a demonic deception time where there is a way that seems right unto men, but the end result is going to be destruction. I'll give you an example. Let's just take all the police out of our cities. What is the end result of that? There is a way that seems right to some people, and I'm, I'm not picking on that issue. We, we have absolutely gone off the rails in this nation with things that are being taught because we are not testing what we're hearing by truth. And that's why the Bible said you have to test the truth. Today there's a great need to test everything. Now, <clears throat> the Bible tells me and you to test two things. I need to test myself. I need to test myself. And you say, well, I don't need to be tested. Then you need to be committed. Of course you need to test yourself. Listen to what the Bible said. I'm going to quote to you. We won't look at it, but you can look at it if you want to. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself to see if you are still standing in the faith. Why would God Almighty in His world tell me to check myself? 
Examine yourself to see if you are still standing in the faith or have you been moved out of it. That's a solemn word from the Lord to constantly examine ourselves to make sure that we're standing where we need to. And, and why? Let me illustrate. Let me show you from Scripture. Why should I keep checking my? You say, Brother Brian, you've been a pastor 40 years. That, that, listen, that's one of the best ways to go into deception you know of right there. Why do I need to check it, keep checking myself? Because it is so easy to move into deception. Let me tell you how we do it. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. A few pages back from 1 John is the book of Hebrews chapter 2. Now remember, this is not written to weirdos, pagans, college professors. I didn't mean to group all those together. You know, media people, bowlers. This is not, this is written to God's people. The book of Hebrews is written to God's people. And I want you to look what he tells you and I to do in Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 1, therefore we must give the more earnest heed. What does that mean? Pay attention to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. Does anybody know what drift is? How fast is drift? All right, here's the speed of drift. It's as fast as Satan can move you and you not know it. And the Bible said you had better pay attention to the things you've heard lest we drift away from it. You say, I don't think it could happen to me. We got major denominations in this nation right here that have moved completely away from truth over time. There is, there is a trial taking place this week, one of our major denominations, one of their bishops is on trial to be dismissed as a bishop, not because he won't obey the word of God, but because he is going to obey the word of God, whether they like it or not. And he's on trial this week for standing by God's word. And he's going to be dismissed as a bishop in a major denomination. That denomination used to honor God's word, but they have slowly drifted so far away. We need to pay attention to what we've heard, lest who drift away? Weirdos, me and you, lest we drift away. And the scripture goes on to say this, for the word spoken, we need to cling to the word and hold to it. And that's why we have to hold to it. All right, let me ask you a question. You say, well, Brother Brown, that's this. I don't understand how that a person that loves God can be deceived like that. All right, let me give you two examples. Was not, did you, do you think Simon loved Jesus? Do you think Simon was a bona fide follower of Jesus? Then why in Matthew 16 did Jesus turn to Simon and say, Get thee behind me, Satan. Your mind has been captured. It's not hearing God right now. If the chief apostle can be deceived and argue with Jesus, do I think I can? I believe it's Luke chapter 12, uh, Luke chapter 9, where James and John got, they got in the flesh, they got angry. Let me tell you something, anger is from hell. God never uses anger, ever. The wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. What's frying our nation right now? Anger is born out of hell. It's divisive. And in Luke chapter 9, two of the apostles, James and John, got upset. And they said to Jesus, because people weren't doing right, and they weren't doing right, they said, do you want us to call fire down and destroy them? <laughs> What's going on in our nation right now? Everybody wanting to call down fire and destroy somebody. And Jesus turned to his, one of his three chief leaders and said, you do not know what spirit has gotten hold of you right now. If the chief apostles can be deceived into destroying people from a, from a strange spirit, what do you think about me and you? Now, you don't need to be afraid. You just need to beware. And we need to pay heed to the things we've been taught lest we drift away from them. There are many people that started, in my lifetime, I've watched so many people go off the rails. I think of Carlton Pearson. I love Carlson Pearson, that great church in Tulsa that helped so many people. And then Carlton just veered completely off the rails. 
uh, Rob Bell in modern times, just a few years back, one of the great young leaders in our nation. And he just lost his mind and just, there he went. These are not goofballs. These are people who honored God, were used of God mightily, but they were deceived into believing all of a sudden God's word is not true. And they went to outer space. And this is the, these are just the craziest days. Just weirdo days. Now, here's what the Bible said to me and you. Let he who thinks he stands take heed. That means pay attention lest he fall. So I'm not concerned about being goofed up, but I am going to pay attention. And I want to show you tonight how to test everything. So we need to test ourselves. Test, and listen, let me tell you, you need to test everything you hear today. You need to test everything everybody teaches. You need to, maybe we should just agree to test all things and then hold on to what is good and hold fast to it. Let me show you something. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We need a revelation. This is Jesus speaking to his people. Now, don't you look what Jesus said to his people in Revelation chapter 2, and we need for him to say this to us. All through the Bible, you have this warning. I'll just pick one in Acts chapter 20. Savage wolves will come in, not sparing the flock. And, and if you think our enemy is fixing to lay down now, the greatest spiritual warfare in world history will take place right before the second coming of Jesus. Revelation chapter 12 says, He has come down into the earth, and he is enraged, knowing he hath but a short time left. And we're in days of insane deception right now. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said this to, to his church. In verse 2, he said this, I know your works, your labor, your patience. You cannot bear those who are evil. And watch this. You have tested those who say they are ministers and are not and have found them liars. What he said to the church in Revelation and to you and I through them. Test people. You find out whether they're telling the truth or not. So you and I need to test ourselves. We need to check, see where we're. And I'm going to show you how to do that in a second. And then we need to make sure that we test everything and hold on to it. Now, three ways that we test ourselves and everybody else. And uh, these are just very simple. And I want you to hear these. I want you to learn these and use them the rest of your life with everything going on. Number one, obviously we test everything by Scripture. Let me tell you something. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. And I have never seen a time when we're going off the rails and getting away from the Bible. Not in the nation. We did that years ago in the church. I recently heard a Presbyterian minister say this, one of the leading ministers in the Presbyterian church, denominational level. And he said, you cannot use the Bible anymore because God has matured since he wrote it and has learned some things since he wrote it. Therefore, we can't use it anymore. If you're looking at me like you have got to be kidding, I'm telling you there is darkness covering the earth, deep darkness to people. That's not the Moonies. That's what what we call mainline denomination right there. And there's such a craziness going on. Demons, let me tell you something. Heaven and earth will pass away. This word will still be here. This is eternal. This is your anchor. This is what you test everything by. When it's all said and done, all the glory of man, academia, entertainment, everything is like a flower. The flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. This is it right here. I want you to look with me at a couple of encouraging words. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, I learned this as a young man. I was saved, and I loved God, and I'll tell you what I was taught when I got saved 
by the people I ran with. That book is your life and you love it and you live in it and you read it and you believe it and you speak it and you hold to it. I love the Bible. And then I went off to a Christian college and I was taught you can't trust the Bible. Nobody knows what it means. It don't make sense. That's not really what it means. And I can remember professors laughing at the Bible in my Christian college. And it got me off track because a young person just trying to learn and grow, naturally you're going to believe your professors and the influence they have. Thank God I ran into somebody who didn't have enough education but to believe what the Bible said and help me get back on track. But let me tell you something. I do not have a Ph.D. I do have a post hole digger, but I do not have a Ph.D. But I'm going to tell you something. You can learn something from a truck driver. That's God's words right there. And I'm going to cling to it till the day Jesus gets back. I've been told, as you get older, you'll change. Hell will freeze over before what I'll throw away what Jesus saved me with. This is permanent right here. All right, 1 Timothy chapter 6 says this. Verse 3, let's read this carefully. If anyone, let's just stop. Tell me what the word anyone means. Does that include your grandma? Does that include everybody? If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree or consent to wholesome words, the words of our Lord Jesus and the doctrine which accords to God, what did he just say? Anything anybody says that doesn't line up with this book, is that not what he just said? Doesn't agree with the words of Jesus. He is proud. He knows nothing. He's obsessed with disputes and arguments from words from which come envy, strife, reveling, evil suspicion, useless. See the word wranglings? It's the Greek word dialogue. What's everybody wanting to do today? What does he call it? Useless dialogue, the wranglings of men, corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now watch these words. From such do what? Run. Withdraw yourself. I'm invited all the time to come to ministerial meetings and there are people there who want to, you know, dialogue about why the Bible's not true and why we should and this and that. What's the Bible tell me to do? You don't embrace this word, I'm running from you. I got, I've got too many people who do want to hear what God's got to say to fuss with those who don't. And the Bible warns me and you right there to hold to this word. Turn the page, probably one page to the right, to 2 Timothy 4. I want you to, as we're reading these scriptures, do you hear a tone? Do you hear God's tone in here and the word itself? Now, let me teach you something. Tone of voice is very important. You understand what I just said right there? The scripture talks about the tone of voice. Do you understand how important tone is when you say something? You know, if, if a man's wife's upset and he says, what's wrong? She said, well, you, you don't ever tell me that you love me. He says, I love you. I love you. Happy? Did he not just tell her he loved her? But what if he turns around and he says, sweetheart, I am so sorry. I really love you. He said the same thing. What's the difference? Tone. And in the Bible, we see where tone makes such a difference. There are times our Heavenly Father speaks to us in comfort. And I love the Holy Spirit's comforting tone. And the Bible said, comfort those who've suffered. And there's a comforting tone that He uses. Most of the time, if you hear the Holy speak, here's the tone He uses. Celebration. Celebration, rejoicing. Rejoice because the Lord is your Redeemer. But sometimes when the Holy Spirit talks, it's a tone of... Uh, let me, let me use the word here. Not, sternness might be a little bit hard. Warning. Now see, when my son, the first day he got his license, and I threw him the keys to those trucks, I didn't say, be careful, be careful, be careful. I didn't say that. I said, look at me, son, be careful. And the tone, I wanted him to take what I was saying serious. And when you hear these admonitions in Scripture, you hear the tone of God 
which is, I want you to take this seriously. 1 Timothy 4.1 says this, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge you. You know what charge means? Here's how my daddy used to say it. Listen to me, boy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Is this to preachers? No, this is to believers. You're to stick with this word when you're talking to your children, when you're talking to your mate. Listen, stick with the word, preach the word, and you need to be ready. What does be ready mean? I can't preach it if I don't know it. I've got to be ready in season and out of season. I don't want you to see a prophecy. Tell me, you tell me if this has come to pass. Verse 3, the time will come when they will not endure sound teaching or doctrine according to their own lusts, appetites, or desires. Because they have itching ears, they will hire for themselves teachers, turn their ears from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. So the Bible says it's going to happen. It's going to come a day in our culture when people don't want to hear what God's got to say. They're going to hire teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. And I just, where it says, uh, in, in the scriptures where it says, the time will come, I just scratched through the word will and wrote the word has over it. The time has come. All right, now listen, I can't stop what other people do. Look at verse 5. But you, be what? Watchful. That means te- you test everything. You be watchful in everything. I am here, I'm going to say it again, I am hearing the craziest stuff I've ever heard in my life go forth today. From, from good people that mean well, but they have rewritten God's word to accommodate our culture. Listen to me. I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it again. You don't rewrite the Bible to suit your culture. You, write your, you change your culture to suit your Bible. Mr. Spurgeon uh, was, was known for upsetting the apple cart when he preached. And he was in a news conference one day and a leading minister who didn't like him said, Mr. Spurgeon, I want to say to you, you are rubbing the cat the wrong way in this town. Mr. Spurgeon's answer was, turn the cat around. (laughs) Dear ones, God Almighty is not going to rewrite his word to keep your society happy. This society is a a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. He's eternal. And we don't need to rewrite the Bible to keep our culture happy. We need to rewrite our Bible. Listen, if you're looking at our culture now and think we're doing good, you don't need to be careful. You need to be committed. I think we should go back to the book. Well, I can't do it. I can't change the nation, but you know what I hear right here? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and stick with his word in this thing. Matter of fact, the Bible tells you and I in the book of 2 John verse 10, if somebody comes to you and they don't teach this, do not even let them in your house and don't bid them Godspeed. You say, that, that just sounds not very nice. Amen. And now you don't, listen, don't cuss them, don't swear, don't be ugly. But you better guard your heart and guard your children. If a bandit tries to break in my house, I'm not going to ask him to have a sandwich and we'll talk about it. The three of us are going to send him out the back door. Let me quote it again. I love Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't need the Bible plus Dr. Smellfungus's opinion. I don't need the Bible plus the latest survey. I want to hear what God's Word has got to say about every issue in my life. And I'm getting real adamant about this, not because I'm redneck and mean, (laughs) but because I am tired of watching people that used to sit in this church blow their families apart because they wouldn't stick with God's Word. And the carnage in this land right now is getting indescribable because we thought we were smarter than God. 
and we should have stuck with his word. We should have stayed with it. God has a way to help you, and here it is. This is John 17, 17. Make their lives wonderful by your word. Your word is truth. And we've got to go back to that. So number one, by the way, let, let me just, let me make a statement here for everybody. And I want you to put this in your chewer. You know what your chewer is where you meditate. The only way Satan can control you, the only way Satan ever controls anybody is to get them to believe a lie. He can't do a thing with you till you first believe a lie. But if he can get you to believe a lie, then you're in what we call bondage. That's why we need to, as Jesus said, he who abides in my word will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It is lies that put us into bondage and destroy our families. So we need to hold to that. All right. <clears throat> Number one, we test everything by scripture. You just ought to immediately say, where's that in the Bible? Where's that in the Bible? I've got to, when I'm anything, if the Holy Spirit impresses me with something, I've got to, I just ask him, is that it? Where's that in your word? I'm, I'm not, I don't doubt that he knows what he's talking about. I just want to make sure it's him. I'm walking today, and he's got to where he is so fast. He put something into my mind. I believe it was the Holy Spirit put, spoke to me today. And here's what he said, in essence. He said to me, he said, there are people that are, that are losing God's best in their lives because they're getting caught up in a bunch of good junk. And I just said, sir, where's that in? And I got the word, you're out. And he brought to my mind, he said, Mark chapter 4. Where the Bible teaches, God will sow good word into their lives in good soil, but the weeds and the cares and the busyness of the word will choke what God is doing and they'll bear no fruit. He don't mind you asking to show things to you in his word. And you need to say to preachers, can you show me that in the Bible? You need to say to politicians, can you show me that in the Bible? This ought to be interesting. Say to your professors, can you show me that in the Bible? Let me tell you something. <clears throat> I'm at war with college professors right now. I, I, not because I want to argue. Let me tell you what the Bible says about college professors right now. I'm not all of them. I've met some godly college professors. Believe it or not, they still got some sins. Let me tell you book says. Better to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea than to hinder the faith of a young person who believes in me. One of the most dangerous things you can do is to attack the faith of a young person. And uh, this and that, our God is merciful and gracious and kind, but you go destroying people's lives, he takes that personally. He didn't say to Saul, why are you persecuting Christians? He said to Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he takes that personal. All right, the scripture teaches you and I that we need to test everything by his word. Let me go a little bit further here. Let me, I'm going to really help you here. Number two, we need to test everything by the entirety of his word the entirety of his word. This is a day where we need to hold Psalm 119, 160 that says the whole of your word is truth. The entirety of your word is truth. I don't just want you to show me a verse. I want to see it in the whole Bible. I want to see that that is the whole teaching of God. Uh, here's the reason. Luke chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Satan came to Jesus and said, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and God will protect you because it is written. And then Satan quoted scripture to Jesus to mess him up. We've got some of the weirdest movements going on in our land today and they got Bible verses all over them, but it does not line up with the entirety of God's word. Now, dear ones, we need to take the whole, anytime I look at anything anybody's doing and I can shoot it to pieces with scripture, I don't care if they quote Bible verses all day, God is consistent with his word. 
And, and that's why people say, well, we, we just want to love everybody and not offend everybody. Yes, the Bible is a book of love. The Bible is also a book of truth. And let me tell you something. God is love, but the wages of sin is still death. And we need, to, we need the entirety of your word is truth. And this is how the great deception is coming in today is that people are coming. And listen to what, how Jesus described them in Matthew chapter 7. They don't come with pitchforks. They come, here's what Jesus said, disguised as sheep, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. That means I got on a, I got on a Christian look, I got on a whatever, but then you need to test them by the entirety of God's word, everything that's in there. I want you to listen to what my blood brother Paul said. He said this, right before he was taken off to be put to death, he called all the elders together. He said, I declare to you, I am free from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. I taught you the whole word. I didn't do like the K&W and pick out the parts I liked and throw away the parts I didn't like. I have taught you the whole word of God. Let me tell you something, dear ones. We've got a, a tremendous movement in our land today that takes the part we like and throws the part we don't like away. Can't do it. The entirety of your word is truth. So I really caution you on that issue. One of the most horrible warnings in the Bible is the last warning in the Bible. Listen to what it says. Whoever takes away from the words of this book, I will take his name out of the book of life. Is that sounds pretty serious right there. God is serious about taking care of his people. And then in the, in the next verse, he said this, and whoever adds to this book, I will add to him the plagues written in this book. You may think he's serious about his word. We need to get back. And let me tell you why he's serious about his word. Because God loves people. And he cares about people. I do not take my child to the pharmacy when they're sick with a prescription and say to the pharmacist, just give me whatever you got back there. It'll be fine. I'm going to feed it to my child. I want it to be specifically what the doctor ordered. I don't say grab me a bottle and let's try it. <laughs> I want the truth. The, listen, it's not enough to have truth. We need the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. We need the whole of his word in everything. And then thirdly, <clears throat> the third way that we test everything, we test it by the word, we test it by the whole word, and then we test it by the spirit. You need to test everything by the Spirit of God. And this is one of the greatest things God ever gave me, and I've used it for years now. It's been a great help to me, is to test everything by the Spirit. And uh, Matthew chapter 7, again, Jesus warned, and he said, In the latter days, difficult times will come. Men will come disguised as sheep, but they're really wolves in sheep's clothing. And Jesus said this, You will know them by their fruits. So you've read that. You will know them by their fruits. And he gives you and I the, not only the permission, but the requirement of testing everything by fruit. Me, myself, and everybody else too. Now, <clears throat> here's, let me tell you how the fruit test works. And I'm going to give you this. I want you to use it the rest of your life. Years ago, I'm, I'm sitting in a meeting and a friend of mine was preaching. And he told of uh, when he was in the Navy. And he was an officer in the Navy. And he said he was on a, a big ship. I don't know whether it was a destroyer or an aircraft carrier. And he was one of the officers and he said, a lot of times when we would go somewhere around the world, he said, we couldn't get into their ports because their ports weren't, didn't have enough draft. Our boat was too, down, too far down in the water to get up to their boat. Because, you know, some of those huge boats, they draft 40 feet. The boat goes 40 feet underwater. And he said, we couldn't get up to the port. So we would anchor back offshore. We would lower smaller boats down. And then the, our Navy guys would carry the Marines on shore for whatever they needed to do. And he said, when I was in charge of the bridge for that eight-hour stretch, when I was in command, he said, my responsibility was to get on the bridge and I would find three stationary objects on the shore, maybe a tree, a building, a radio tower, or another tree over on my starboard side. I would find three stationary objects. Now, this is back before GPS. 
and he said, I would take an instrument and I would gauge where is my ship in accordance with those three stationary objects because the tree's not going to move. The building's not going to move. And I would gauge with that instrument where my, where my ship was uh, to, at those three different places. And as long as I was in command, every 15 minutes I had to go back and check my relationship, my correlation to those three stationary instruments. If they were the same, we're okay. But if I was not where I was 15 minutes ago, I knew this, the tree didn't move. The building didn't move. I didn't feel it, but my ship was now drifting. And it's a dangerous thing when a ship starts drifting in shallow water and we would have to up anchor and reposition ourselves. And uh, the next morning I was praying, the Holy Spirit said, that's your life right there. He said, I'm going to give you three stationary truths that will never change till the day I see you face to face. And for the rest of your life, I want you to check yourself regularly against these three truths in my word. And if you'll do this, because I was at a period where I was concerned, I was watching the great ministries in this nation go off the rails and collapse and people going crazy. And I was wondering, is that going to happen to me someday? And he said, if you will position yourself according to these three truths in my word that never change. And he said, don't check yourself every five years, son. Drift is faster than that. He said, you check yourself regular against my word. Because the Bible, called, James calls the word of God a mirror. And in that mirror, I can see myself. And I'm going to give you three stationary landmarks in God's word that will never change. Three immovable truths. I'm going to quote to you again. We looked at Hebrews chapter 2 that said, Let us pay more earnest heed, pay careful attention to the things that are written, lest we drift. Please listen to me. I have watched some of the kindest, spirit-filled, most sincere Christians go nuts. Some of them in this church. And become some of the most hateful, evil people. And if you'd have told me that was going to happen, I'd have never believed it. Listen, it didn't happen in a day. They drifted. Slowly. I asked a friend of mine who's serving 35 years. He was a Baptist deacon. He's serving 35 years in the penitentiary in Indiana for celebrities. And I asked him, how did you get here? He said, if you'd have told me three years ago, I'd have done this, I'd have hit you. And he told me, here's, here's where it started, right here. Then it went right here and went right here. And dear ones, our enemy is so smart. If you think you're smarter than he is, you're already deceived. Thank God I've got the truth. I don't need to be smart. I've got truth. But he can drift you. And I'm going to give you three stationary landmarks that I checked myself against and been doing it for years that never change. Don't you turn me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. All right, three landmarks. And just like my buddy Dr. Brown would check his ship in correlation to these places, I'm always asking myself, where do I stand with God's Word right here? Because let me make an announcement. God's Word hadn't drifted hadn't changed, it hadn't been rewritten, it's not going to, the earth will pass away and this word will still be standing. Only two things coming out of this earth, people and God's word. And I check myself against this on a regular basis. And the precious Holy Spirit, who is so good, he tends to check me on this thing. He don't have to, me, he don't have to come to me and say, uh, son, son, all he's got to do is just quote the scripture to me and I know you are not where you used to be. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this. Galatians 5, 22 says this. The fruit of the Spirit, what you will see on the outside of my life, what I will see on the outside of my life, if the Holy Spirit is ruling on the inside, is compassion and joy and peace and patience and kindness 
I like that one. Kindness. I like that. Even when people acting crazy, kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Now, faithfulness there doesn't mean believe in God. That's the faithful word for if I said I'll be there, I'll be there. I'm not running out of this marriage. I'm not running from this church because it gets tough. I put my hand to the plow. I'm not looking back. That's that faithfulness right there. And self-control means I am in control of myself. There it is. I hold that mirror up to my life. And if I see that I am ill with people, I am testy, I am impatient, and I'm angry, I can do one of two things. I can rewrite God's word and justify my sin, or I can say, I have drifted from where God placed me, and I can move back. That, this is Galatians 5.22 will be there until Jesus gets back. And that is the standard. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, you can know them by your fruits. By their fruits, I know me by my fruits. I don't need you to inspect. I got the book myself. And I just, once in a while, I'll just pause and I'll say, now, beggars, is your heart tender toward people right now? You have the joy of Jesus? Are you, are you at peace? Are you being patient with people? Are you being kind to people? Well, they, I, 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 I. look at number nine. Do me a favor. Don't justify it. Just pull your anchor up and go back to where you used to be. We need to reposition ourselves when we find ourselves. Let me tell you something about drifting. <clears throat> I, I love to fish. I don't, I don't think I've been this year yet. I love to fish. I don't get to go much anymore. It's my job. It's got messed up. <clears throat> One of the places I love to fish is on the port wall in Moorhead City. We have a state port in Moorhead City. You have the ocean comes in an inlet, and then the river splits, and you got the intercoastal water when the North River goes the other way, a huge state port there. And that port wall, they keep it dredged at 50 feet deep. It's always 50 feet deep right beside the port wall. And it's a flounder love to lay down there. And I love to go down there and get them. And uh, that's a great place to fish. But it's very swift current right there. And, you know, unless it's just even tide, very swift current. And you can't touch the port wall because the, the port foes will come get you. You know, they ride around making sure you're not touching the wall there. And you're not allowed to touch the wall. But you want to get as close to it as you can, which to me is three inches. And you got to get right up there close to it. So, and it's very hard to anchor because it's 50 feet deep, it's swift water. You have to have about 150 feet of line out to get a chance to anchor. And, and it's hard. You'll try and you'll miss it and try. And, and I've got, this is my spot right here. And if somebody's in my spot when I get there, they need to move. I don't care if it's a tanker from Russia. They need to move and get out of my spot. But, but you'll get anchored and the water's running so fast and so you fish a little bit. And all of a sudden you'll realize my anchor has turned loose and you'll, you'll see that you're drifting down the port wall. I can't holler up there and say, move the wall. I have to stop what I'm doing, up anchor, get back to where I want to be, and go through all the aggravation of re-anchoring again. If I drift, I can't be where I want to be. Dear ones, if the compassion of God and the peace of God and the kindness of God is not in me, I don't need to justify it because my land's going crazy. I need to up anchor and go back to where I used to be. What's well, another way of saying it? I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit again. But right there it is. That is the permanent, eternal landmark. By the way, Galatians 5.22 is normal. That's what normal is for a believer that follows Jesus. All right? Mad because they did wrong. Hateful because they ain't cooperating. Upset because of them idiots at CNN or Fox, whichever idiots you like the least. That ain't normal. That may be normal in this nation, but that's not normal for God's people. And I need to up anchor and go back again. Turn with me. 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me give you another just in case. 1 Corinthians 13. Three lamb. I've been using this for 30 years now. And um, once in a while, the precious Holy Spirit, his job is to, is to help us. It used to be he would, he would speak to Martin. He would say, son, let's go back to Galatians 5.22 and let's check where we are with God's word. He'd say that to me. And then it got to where after a while he'd say, son, let's go back to Galatians 5.22. Then it got to where he'd say, son. Now he just goes, <clears throat> and I know where to go. Let me tell you something. God's word's never going to change. I don't care how crazy this culture gets. God's word's never going to change. 1 Corinthians 13 is the, is the pinnacle of the Bible. Charles Stanley calls it the crown jewel of the Bible. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, shut your face. Southern version. I don't care if you can prophesy, verse 2. I don't care if you understand all mysteries. I don't care if you have all knowledge. Have you ever met anybody that had all knowledge? Thought they did. I don't care if you can remove mountains. If you don't have love, shut your face. Shut your face is, a, is Greek for... I don't care what you give away. I don't care how you suffer. All right, here it is. Here's, here's the landmark, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. If you want what somebody else has got, don't justify it. The scripture is very clear. Love does not parade itself. It is not arrogant. God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus. We've got people parading themselves today in arrogance and pride, demanding, tell me what the book says. That's not God right there. The Bible's very clear. Does not behave rudely. I'm going to let that, we're going to simmer for a little bit there. Love's just not, I don't care. Love's just not rude. And let me, this, let me can I have some fun with y'all at your expense? I'm in church not long ago over another building back before we had to do this stuff. It's been three months this week, do this stuff. And I walked up and there was a couple in my church, fine couple, and they were having a discussion. She was chewing his fanny and he was listening. And they couldn't see me, but I could hear it because I hadn't come around the corner. And when I came around the corner, a miracle took place. I mean, sugar wouldn't melt in her mouth. Pastor, oh, look, honey, the pastor's here. And uh, I just stayed there for a minute to protect him. And after a little bit, I had to go, so I said, I'll see you. And as I walked off, I turned the corner. I just, you know, I just stopped. I'm one of them people. I'm going to listen. I her said, this discussion is not over yet. All right. I, I'm not going home with you. If you're going to be kind to anybody, it ought to be the person you're married to. All right, got three. Maybe your mask is muffling it and I can't hear it. I don't know what the deal is there. That wasn't no fun. Let's get off that. <laughs> Love does not behave rudely, does not demand its own way. If I'm demanding, sorry guys, I'm busted. Is not provoked. You know what not provoked means? It's not touchy. If you're easily offended, don't justify it. Let's get in line with God's word. <clears throat> and thinks no evil. If you've been hurt, you need to Repent. The Bible doesn't remember. By the way, thinks no evil means it never remembers when somebody does it wrong. I promise you, did you did Jesus worse than anybody's done you. Never rejoices in iniquity, only rejoices in the truth. Verse 6 is the one that knocks the American church out today. 
You can't say we're just going to love everybody no matter what they do. Let me tell you about the love of God. It never embraces what God calls iniquity, ever. And that's the one that's killing our churches today. Verse 7 says this, bears all things. I'm not going to put up with this no more. Are y'all not reading the same Bible I am? I ain't getting no amens at all anymore here. It was going good for a while. I got off track, I guess. Bears all things, believes all things. Watch this. When you lose hope and there's no use trying anymore, you've moved away from him. Because our God is the God of hope. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen, people talk about how rough days these are. These are the greatest days on earth to be alive. I make fun that I was born in the wrong time. I should have been born in cowboy days. Let me tell you what this book says. I was born for such a time as this. And so were you. And we were born for this time right here. And these are the greatest days to be alive. And I'm telling you, yes, darkness is going to cover the earth. You're going to see the glory of God in his people. I mean, he's going to pour his spirit out on all flesh. It's going to be wonderful. I'm sorry, I'm off track here. The point is, when there's hopelessness, the spirit of God is gone. Because love always hopes everything. There's always hope in love. I... uh, have we got, we got time. Turn me to James chapter 3. Just let me show you the third one. I, I beat you up so bad with the first two. I hate to do it. But I want to remind you, these are the three landmarks the Spirit of God gave me years ago. And I, I've memorized them now. I can just sort of stand there and go, well, am, I, am I being patient? Am I being kind? Is this the compassion of God? Am I at peace? If I'm not, I need to get back. Am I, do, am I blow-toading? You don't know what blow-toading is. Y'all know what a blow toad is? Blow fish. Okay, blow fish. Catch them at the beach. A lot of people like to eat them. I guess they're real hungry. <laughs> it's a blow fish. But you catch it at the North Carolina coast, and it's real funny. You touch him on the back, and he just, he just puffs up. A little tiny fish about that big. It blows up the size of a softball. And they're hilarious. And uh, we love to catch them. I used to catch them, let my kids just touch them. They'd blow up, and they'd go. they said, go down, go down. They'd touch me, blow up again. And... Uh, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. Love is not touchy. I've had blowfish people in my church. I mean, you just say something. <laughs> Let me make an announcement. I have never earned anything except a one-way ticket to the hottest corner of hell. If I'm not burning right now, I'm living under grace. God has been good to me. I don't have anything to be puffed up about. James chapter 3. I love this passage. Verse 14. If you have bitterness, what's our word for it? Hurt. If you have bitterness and strife or selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The stuff that's in you didn't come from heaven. It came from either the earth, your flesh, or a demon. You pick it. That's not good, is it? This is how every evil thing comes in, according to the next verse. Now watch this. But the wisdom that is from above, when God is running your life, the Holy Spirit's in charge, it's pure, it's peaceable, it's gentle. It doesn't jerk people around, doesn't demand its own way. It is willing to yield. Fine. It just gives in. doesn't have to have its own way. And what? Full of mercy. It doesn't want to bring vengeance down on people. We've entered what we call a cancel culture now. You make a mistake, we want to kill you and your children too. Take your job away from you. What does the Bible say? If God's in it, there's going to be mercy for people when they make a mistake. Because our God is a God of mercy and grace. 
full of mercy and good fruits. What does without partiality mean? Does anybody got an idea? Without partiality means you do not prefer white to black. Partial means I, I want these and I don't want them. It doesn't prefer black to white or scotch plaid. It doesn't prefer Baptist to Methodist. It doesn't prefer classy folks to country folks like me. It doesn't, let me see if I can get yours. It doesn't prefer opera to the Grand Ole Opera. It doesn't prefer NASCAR to cricket. We used to have them out in the country too. <laughs> Anything that divides people is not from heaven. The wisdom that is from above has no partiality. None. Let me tell you something about the new heaven and the new earth. And I saw a number that no man can number from every tribe and tongue and people and nation standing together singing, worthy is the lamb. That's the bottom line. So I don't care what the justification is. If there's partiality, you're not hearing from heaven. So if I'm at a place where I prefer <clears throat> these type people to these type people, oh, you know, old, I'm in the old people club now. Got my ARP card. I cut it up and mailed it back to them. Or I got my ARP card. I get the discount at coffee at the Bojangles. Me and the old men sit down there and talk trash. I, yeah, I'm in the senior group now. I love old people. No, no that's not going to happen. I prefer young people. The Bible says teach these things to younger men. It doesn't say sit around the Bojangles and ratchet with older men. Teach these things to younger men. If I prefer one to the other, I need to put my anchor and go back to where God put me and move back. That's why his word is a lamp and it's a mirror. Let me throw in one more here. Full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and it never fakes it. Without hypocrisy. You know who, you know who hip, hip, hypocrite is, don't you? Yeah, yeah my cousin. <laughs> hypocrite was a Latin actor. Remember, he had the two masks. One was a smiley mask. One was a frowny mask. His name was hypocrite. That's where we get the term hypocrite from. Hypocrisy is, I'm this way in front of you, and I'm this way in front of them. And I change, you know, like if you're chewing your husband's rear end and the preacher walks up, oh, change masks. <laughs> that ain't God. That is not the wisdom that's from above. She should have kept chewing me too. Needs to show mercy to both of us. He's a good fella. She needs to show mercy. All righty. There it is. Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 13, James 3, those three landmarks, eternal landmarks will never move. And I always use those three, and I look at where do I stand in accordance with God's truth. And I'm going to say it again. If I'm not exactly right in line with those three, I don't rewrite the Bible. I pull my anchor up and move me. You know, what that, you know what that sounds like? Test everything. Examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith, still in the faith, and get back to it. Now, by the way, the Scripture teaches you and I also, I can test other people by that too. I don't care what a scholar you are. I don't care if you're the biggest preacher in town. I don't care how big your church is. If you are hateful to waitresses, I'm not buying it. You say, don't judge him. I'm testing everything. And I'm going to hold fast to what is good. If you write a good book, I'll read it. But I ain't taking you out no more. This is such good preaching. I'm, this is good right here. I am, I'm, I've never seen a day when we want to justify what we have become. We need to quit justifying ourselves and repent as a people, as a land, as a nation, and go back to God's Word. Dear ones, the great destruction of our nation has been that the standard has been removed. 
Even when I was a young man, there was a standard. And now there is no standard and we've become a featherless era. There's, there's no, where she lands, nobody knows. All right, let me leave you with a word of encouragement. All righty. The entrance to thy word gives light. Listen to me. Uh, Psalm 36 says this, in your light we see light. I have no idea until his light turns on. Now, why the, why the warning tone? Why, why is there such a, our Heavenly Father leads us in celebration. He's gracious, he's comfortable. Why such a warning tone with him? Let me show you one more scripture about our responsibility for the future. And it's in 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, and this involves everybody in this room. Now, you, let me tell you what I hear. I don't hear an angry old man. I hear the loving heart of a father saying, be careful out there. When I threw my son the keys, I didn't tell him to be careful. And I didn't say it real serious because I wanted his attention. I said, you be careful driving out there. Is that because I didn't want him to have any fun? I wanted him to make it home safely. When my daughters went off to college, I said, you look at your daddy. You listen to me. Be careful in them colleges. Anybody that comes up to you and pretends to be a boy, <laughs> tell them, you run, sweetheart. Tell them, I saw what happened to my mama. Get out of my face. <laughs> Any professor that puts a question mark over that book, don't argue and fuss with him. Just turn it off. You know why? Because I, I, I don't want my girls to have any fun. I want them to get home safe. The loving heart of God tells me, be careful. You know, <laughs> when I hand somebody a loaded pistol, I said, don't worry about it. Pull the trigger and see what happens. Oh, you think so? You know what I tell them? Because I like to take boys shooting at my house. You know what I tell them? You be careful. And we train them to be careful. You can have a lot of fun with it if you're careful. You can have a blast in this life and it can be abundant if you're careful. All right, here's what the scripture teaches you and I about the responsibility. 1 Timothy 6, 20. Uh, I want you to notice something with me in the Bible. See if you've ever seen this in the Bible. Oh, Timothy. Is that what it says? Did I not tell you tone means a lot in the Bible? We have got to start hearing the tone of God's voice. When you see O, the, the, word, the letter O, and an exclamation mark behind it, what do you hear? I hear passion. Oh, Timothy, son. He's writing this to a younger man, son. Demons, how many times in the Bible, look at the exclamation and the words like O, and you'll hear the passion of God. He said, oh, Timothy, son, guard what was committed to your trust. Why would he tell him that? Why does God tell me to guard something? Guess why you put a guard somewhere? I had a wedding several years ago and we were getting ready for it. And the lady said, by the way, said, my ex-husband said he's going to come kill everybody that's here if we could do this wedding. I said, I appreciate you pointing that out. <laughs> well, guess what we did? Somebody take a guess. I told him to find another preacher. That's what he should have done. <laughs> no, we had the wedding. We posted a guard. Guess why? Somebody threatens to come hurt you, you post a guard. Are you with me? The only wedding I've ever done with my robe on and my pistol in my back pocket. But we did it. And uh, side note, this ain't got nothing to do with what we're talking about. I'm just out in the yard. I'm standing out there, and I hear a car come flying down the dirt road. And I said, God, have mercy. It's coming. It was the mail lady. She was late that day and come around the corner out there. <laughs> but when he says guard what was committed to your trust, you know, everybody look at me. God has entrusted you with something. Everybody in this room has been entrusted with three things. 
God has entrusted to you your future. Let me tell you something from the Bible. Your future is not in his hands. He has written your future good. Your future is in your hands. And whether you have a great future or whether you go off the rails and collapse, that's not up to him. He's already promised to make your life good. Your future is in your hands. And he wants you to do what? Guard the future I have trusted you with. Let me tell you what I want to do. I'm 62 now. I've got 20 years to go in this, this thing called ministry. I will fall over at the desk. I ain't sitting around Biscuitville with white knee socks and black loafers and plaid shorts. I'm going to be working until I fall over. But let me tell you what I want to do. I don't want to have a few good years. I want to finish my course with joy. I, I mean, I want my family to do well. He has entrusted me with that. One of the hardest lessons I ever learned years ago, a dear friend of mine, he was a Baptist pastor. He became a North Carolina state senator. He became the head of the Christian Action League in North Carolina, which lobbies Congress and works for moral issues in North Carolina. And he was one of the most gifted speakers, one of the most charismatic men. He ate lunch, he'd come and eat lunch in our home with me and Katie, and I loved him dearly. He was a mentor to me, and he served, you know, on up into his 70s, retired. And at 80 years old, he was arrested in a hotel with prostitutes on numerous occasions. You say, well, he did a good work for a lot of years. I don't want to finish like that. He should have guarded what God had trusted him with. And I, I'm not being unkind. I, I feel for the man. But I don't want to go there. I want to guard what he's entrusted me with. He's entrusted with my future. Number two, he's entrusted me with my family. And he's entrusted you with your family, your children, your grandchildren, the, your parents. He's entrusted you with your family. God is a family man. And one of the great insanities of this nation right now is that there's a movement afloat to take children out from underneath the authority of their parents and put it under the hand of the government. Have we not seen what the government's done with other things yet? God gave children to their parents. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord to their parents, not to the government. And it takes a mom and a daddy. It takes parents. My hat is off. I was praying last night, earlier this morning, for these single mothers. They are doing a Herculean effort to raise these kids. And I'm asking God, how can we help these girls? And how can we help these people? They're responsible for those families since Don Juan has flown off. All right, we're responsible for our families. And number three, I am responsible for my influence. Everybody's got a circle of influence. I've got people that I influence. You've got people that you influence, whether it's family, friends, or whatever. And he, what do he tell me? Guard that thing. Guard what I've entrusted you with. Your future, your family, and your influence. Now, he's well able... And dear ones, he'll help me, but I want to tell you something. Ultimately, I get to make the decision. My future's in my hands, but I'm going to finish my course with joy. Here's the distillery. Here it is. Stick with the book, all of it. Stick with the Spirit of God, all of it. And we're going to finish our course with joy, and we're going to fly into glory with scars on the side and wheel marks and banging, hollering, what a ride. What a ride. I, my, my buddy, Miss Pat's here tonight. I, Dr. J.L. Williams is such a great mentor. I was looking at his picture today. I just loved him so much. And you know what he taught me? Over and over he taught me. I mean, he was 75 when he left me with y'all all by myself and was promoted to the church triumphant. But you know what he taught me? You stay in fourth gear till you see Jesus face to face. I mean, you don't slow down, you don't back up, you don't, you don't melt down. And he, his entire life, he ran, fourth gear's the top gear, and I know you've got nine in your truck, but fourth gear's as fast as you can go in a race car. And he taught me, you stay in fourth gear till you see Jesus face to face. 
And I, I think I may have told this one time. The family called me. He, he was promoted real suddenly. I can remember old Gypsy Smith praying, Lord, when my time comes, I want a quick getaway. I don't want to lay in the bed. I want to get out of here quick. Well, he got a quick getaway one day. And the family called me. I went over there, and he was, he was still there in the bed. And I reached I put my hand on his foot, and I thought, sure enough, still had his shoes on. That's the way I want to go right there. I want to burn till it's over in fourth gear, and then I want to go out of here just like that and say, I'm on the way home and be done with it. And I'm going to trust what he has guarded me with. And I want you to do the same thing. All righty. <clears throat> I want you to listen to this message again. Do it on the pod thing, okra pod thing, whatever we got, the, the pod website or whatever. Listen to this again. And you take your Bible like I've done with mine. You write them three scriptures. Let me see if I can get it open here. Write them three scriptures on the front page. And then you just check yourself regularly and go back and say, well, let me check on this right here and uh, find it. Now, by the way, while, I, while I'm up here, while I got my Bible open to the front page, let me check with you on something here. Make sure this is all right. I don't want to beat on people because they ain't there. I want to help them get there. I don't beat on people because they ain't nowhere. I want people to finish their course with joy. And I want them to do well. While I'm at it, certificate of marriage, we'll just have fun with my Bible tonight. This certifies that Jesus and Brian were married on July the 7th, 1975. Carl Lake, the efficient, was the Holy Spirit, and the witness was Dave Pearsall. That's pretty good, isn't it, right there? <laughs> so we just get married to Jesus. I'm going home to glory. It's coming. That's coming down. I'm doing that too. That's coming. It's coming too on the way. All right. Now, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you for your great kindness. All the praise and glory and honor be unto you. I want to thank you and bless you because you have seated us in the heavenly places of Christ while we walk through this earth. And I just want to praise you and thank you for the word of God tonight and the spirit of God. We would be lost if we didn't have your word. I thank you and praise you that you cheer us on by your word. But I want to pray over every person in the room tonight and every person watching online. Father, there's such a subtle drift in our land to be slowly moved away from God's Word, and it is not you. And I pray that we will determine, as your Word said, that we will drive down a stake on this Word and say, this Word is a lamp unto my feet. It is the light unto my path. I may not understand it all, but I understand enough to stay there. I pray for every person in this room, all those listening. I want them to have the best life. I want our teenagers to grow up, get married if they want to, have a wonderful home, great children, great careers, the joy of Jesus. I want them to grow old, enjoy their grandchildren, fall over in old age as, as, the, as, the, uh, as Solomon did, gather up his feet and go to glory. I pray for every person. I don't care whether they're 90 or 9 in here. I want them to finish their course with joy. And I thank you and praise you that his word will lead me safely home. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified. And I just want to praise you and thank you that I live in these days. I thank you for what the Spirit of God is doing, for the wonders of what you're working. And everyone pray over our church. I pray not that we be the prettiest, the fanciest, the snazziest, or the most polished, but I pray that this church be a lighthouse. A lighthouse in this community, in this city, in this region. Let this church be a lighthouse where people can come and find the truth of God and the love of God and the healing of the Father. Make this house 
the end that you took the broken man to in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Bring people here and say, look after them till they're well. And let this be a place of healing by God's word in your spirit and your grace. And Father, as I was praying this morning last night, especially those who are suffering unusually, send the single mothers here who don't know what to do. Send those who have suffered unjustly here so they can be cared for. Make this a place, not of partiality, but a place where people of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation glorify Jesus and sing, worthy is the Lamb. Bring the broken. I want us to be the Statue of Liberty Church, Lord Jesus. Send me your broken, poor, tired, huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Send them to this house and raise up a place where people can find help and hope. Thank you. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified in his precious name, I pray. Amen.